This podcast is brought to you by Future Women, a new home for women to come together online and in person. Become a member to gain full access to Future Women's content, events and community. Plus, our packed calendar of member-only social club events. For more details, head to futurewomen.com. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for Season 2 of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale. Some of these women are incredibly inspiring and I cannot wait to share these conversations with you. Three years ago, Claire Kimball quit her lucrative job in corporate affairs with Woolworths to start a business from her lounge room. There's that leap I think that many people take. I'd probably been thinking about it for three or four years. There was something I thought that would work here. Today, the Squiz employs three people. It's on its way to reaching 50,000 subscribers and was recently awarded Newsletter of the Year by Mumbrella. In addition, its daily podcast, a seven-minute news update, released at 6am every weekday, receives nearly 80,000 downloads. With the tagline, your shortcut to being informed, the Squiz has become an important part of the day for tens of thousands of busy women and men. The trust that people have in mainstream news at the moment is around that sort of 45 to 50% mark. Uh, our people rate our trustworthiness at about 99%, which is fantastic. Um, they really value that we've put it through a filter and tested it across a number of sources and what they get then is really well verified. Before Woolworths, Claire worked as an advisor to National Party MP Larry Anthony and is also partially responsible for helping Tony Abbott become Prime Minister. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by Uber. Uber ignites opportunity by setting the world in motion. Uber believe good things happen when people can move, whether across town or toward their dreams. Opportunities appear, open up, become reality. What started as a way to tap a button to get a ride has led to billions of moments of human connection as people go all kinds of places in all kinds of ways with the help of Uber's technology. Claire, welcome. Thanks so much, Brooke. I want to get back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? How did you get your break working in federal politics? I was born in Canberra, of all places. Well, that's a good place to start, Claire. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't actually ever live there, though, uh, until I went back there for university. Uh, I did my primary school in Yass, uh, made famous, of course, by the Queer Eye guys with the Yass Queens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my parents, though, were from Albury, so we moved there when I started high school. Um, interestingly, I'm an only child. Uh, both of my parents have died now. Um, in those years growing up in a town like Yass, mum and dad had been married for almost 20 years before I was born and they thought 
they were the weird old people who were selfish enough not to have children. But of course, mum had lots of fertility issues and I was a very wanted, very special child for them to be born when mum was nearly 40, which was very unusual in those days. And I think one of the interesting things coming out of that I know with my friends who are now going through their child bearing stages, um, miscarriage is talked about a bit more. Uh, fertility issues are talked about a little bit more. Uh, mum had a miscarriage almost every year for that wow. whole period, if How not a bit more. So like 18 miscarriages before I was born. It's really great to see that talked about a bit more. But yes, coming from that background of being an only child to older parents, it was a fantastic fantastic childhood what an incredible woman to just you know yeah. to, to just keep on going and in those days uh, not even her family knew I think her employer knew and of course my father knew but none of our friends or her friends knew she didn't talk about it and I think she'd be really pleased that it's something that's out in the open these days it, I think even 10 years ago it yep. was something that Absolutely. people just didn't speak about you know you'd hear of someone having gone through it and you'd be like, oh, no, we have to tiptoe around it and we don't really know how to speak about it because it's so awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. But now women are able to talk about it and, you know, get the support that they need during what must be some of the worst days of their life. Absolutely. Right? And you can choose privacy if that's your thing, but I think the fact that you can actually tell your own story mm. in a more open way is, is really encouraging. One of my girlfriends actually recently, um, well, she's pregnant at the moment and she told me long before the three-month, you know, sort of yeah. etiquette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the social, safe zone. The safe zone because she said um, if something happens I need mm. support. Yeah. You know, I want my, Someone I want my to nearest know. and dearest to, yeah. to know. Well, um, it sounds like you come from really incredibly strong people <laughs> that's right. and country people as well. Country people, resilience is your stock in trade, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And so is that why you loved the Nats so much? Because you, you felt like they reflected your values? Yeah, not not so directly, although they were a fantastic group of people um, who really just got on with life. And, you know, in the period that I worked there, there was quite a few big droughts. Uh, so actually seeing that in action in a government sense was really interesting. My parents were both, though, very staunch Labor supporters. Uh, we talked about news and politics from as long as I could remember, which I think is the path that I was set on uh, eventually with no real planning to get to here. And so how did you get into politics? I did uh, political science at university, I did history and then I did, because you're not qualified for anything when you've got an arts degree, <laughs> a graduate diploma in public policy and the view was that I'd probably go into public service. I had a real interest in policy, probably more than politics in those days. Um, though when I finished up, the Howard government had just been elected um, through that old Bush telegraph. We had friends of friends when I was looking for work in government that ha happened to have a position available as a good old executive assistant in a National Party Senator's office, a guy called David Brownhill who came from up Tamworth Way uh, and that was my introduction. Wow, that's my home country up ah, there. Ah, Tamworth, is it? A right. lot of bonies up there. Oh, fantastic space. It's I, so I, beautiful, yeah, isn't it? I hadn't spent any time uh, and, again, working with the Nats was a fantastic way to see so much more of regional Australia. Um, Tamworth is such a great centre. Mm. 
very good um, shopping in Tamworth. Great coffee. And in Inverell as well. There's oh, a hot right. tip for you. Oh, yeah, there you they go. Have excellent shops. Now, what, if anything, did that sort of work in politics do to prepare you for being an entrepreneur? I think that resilience thing definitely is a theme. Uh, there's very few things um, over that period of time um, that's thrown at you that you don't find a way to work out one way or another. It doesn't mean that you succeed every single time, but uh, it certainly teaches you that you don't take no for an answer and that you push as hard as you possibly can to get whatever it is that you need to try and get to, whether that's for your boss or whether that's for the team. Uh, I think that relentlessness has really helped a lot. It's incredible when you see someone who has that sort of drive. I remember the first time I saw it in a woman in a professional context and it was one of my bosses. Her name was Tanya Hosh and um, we were working on a campaign together and I remember someone saying no or I went to her and I said, oh, this isn't going to work, they're not going to do this or... Um, we can't get this, and she's like, "Oh no, you don't, you don't <laughs> stop. You just keep going until until yep. it happens. The door's not closed. There's many more doors you can open, and and that's the thing. I think just pushing and pushing, and it doesn't mean you have to be nasty or no, even angry. No, no. You just have to keep asking. Oh, yeah. you just find a way yeah. to make it work, one way or another. Now, Larry Anthony was a national MP. So, how then did you switch from the National Party to the Liberal Party? I, uh, as we like to say, was asked by the people of Australia to change jobs. (laughs) Larry was voted out. (laughs) I'm like, what? We all asked you? Wow, I don't even remember that. The electors of Richmond thought a career change (laughs) or at least a job change was something Mm. that I should consider. Um, That happened in 2004. Larry had done a really good job of holding his seat and the reason why I went to him in the first place was that he was the most marginal member of the federal parliament Uh, Larry held the seat from the Queensland border down the coast to just past Byron Bay. So it's a very different space these days uh, and was increasingly so with the demographic change through that region. Uh, And it... it Who did it fall to? Uh, It went to, God, in those days, what was her name? And she was in Parliament. It It went to Labor. Yes, I Uh, remember her. She had a fringe and long brown hair. Dark hair, yes. I remember going up there on a campaign. Isn't that terrible? I can't remember her name. I can't remember her name either. Anthony Albanese, though, is very involved in campaigns in Richmond. So I did get to know our federal Labor leader quite well (laughs) through those years. He was very cheeky, I remember. Um, But, yeah, it it was... for the really sad result for Larry, it was a fantastic experience to see campaigning at that really local level and you're very much at the coalface of that. Um, I was of a mind to leave Parliament at that point in time. I'd been a staffer since 98. Uh, we're talking about 2004. And when I was looking at, at those options, um, because I had a good bit of corporate knowledge and, of course, we were heading into the last dying days of the Howard government retaining staff was a real thing for them at that point in time. Uh, They asked me what I wanted and I told them that what I wanted was to work for a cabinet minister uh, and it had to be in Sydney or Melbourne and a job came up with Tony and and that's where I went. I moved to Sydney and, and started a role with him. So as a young woman from the country, were there challenges working for very conservative white men? I'm going to take issue with that question on a couple of counts and I'll I'll tell you why. Uh, 
I think the suggestion that being a woman in that space is something of a disadvantage, it absolutely wasn't. Um, my experience of working in politics the whole way through for the whole 11 years was that for at least 10 of those years I had a female chief of staff and certainly more than half of the senior roles in the office were taken up by women. So it was a very positive work environment I think as a young person let alone a young woman and in fact we didn't talk about gender a whole lot. Uh, the other thing I think about um, the conservative white man tag um, it's factually correct I worked for men who were white and, conservative. <laughs> and, and from <laughs> yeah. the Liberal and National Party so yeah. technically correct. I think though it's really interesting to see a bit of a pushback even just recently about this sort of name calling and name calling of people and senior people involved in politics. Barack Obama this week actually gave a fantastic speech. What do you mean name calling? I think the the derogatory term attached to conservative white men isn't helpful in terms of our our speech. I think the same reason why I would jar at Labor lefties or rabid greenies or anything like that. I think, sure, I mean, have your fun with the tags evolved to the people um, in this space, but I think to have a better political debate, we've got some big problems that we have to solve and we have to get to the heart of those issues. We're not going to get there if we're name-calling. We are going to get there if we actually listen, show a bit of respect. Uh, doesn't mean you have to agree by any stretch. I don't think we should agree and that's not what Australia is about anyway. Uh, but actually having debate about substantial issues rather than worrying about conservative white men or Labor lefties, I think hopefully we can move on a bit from that. Would you describe yourself as a conservative? I'm conservative in a classical sense of politics in that I like a balanced budget um, I like um, some of the institutions that we have that we value. Um, socially, though, not so much. Um, I'm pro-choice. I voted for the same-sex marriage um, plebiscite, for example. Uh, I'm not religious. Um, I, I, I probably uh, have never been. But the interesting thing is the reason why uh, I certainly had... I think a, a good run in politics with Larry but certainly with Tony is that I have a different view mm. and that was something that they really valued. In that sense then is it difficult to work with people who have those opposing views because, you know, yeah. fundamentally they, they just sort of don't agree. There's no sort of halfway between. I can see why people think that but actually my experience is very different. Um, I know the value that I gave to people like Tony Abbott in talking about things, uh, looking at policies, um, actually changing and tempering some of that stuff to be more inclusive. Um, I don't think he did a great job of that as he got through his prime ministership uh, and in fact that's something um, that I think uh, ultimately probably put him out of the picture but certainly when I was there I can take credit Brooke for all the good things that happened <laughs> <laughs> while I was there yeah. it was so all absolutely the bad stuff perfect. none of my business Correct. all the good things oh, that was me that was me <laughs> totally yeah. do you know what I find about uh disagreements or hanging around mm. with people who think in radically different ways to you is that it often strengthens and um it makes your argument or your position more robust 
And so then when you do have to have discussions about it, you have to think critically about your own position. And so often it can be um, a, a really powerful thing. Um, to in in a professional context, you have to. Some of my you know best friends think very different to me in a in a political sense, and isn't which that, I quite enjoy. Yeah, and that's great because I th- I think I saw particularly it. when you win a fight with them. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Look, you're always going to win because you're right. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think um, it's interesting. It's not um, singular to politics either. This I think having you know a range of viewpoints on whatever it is in life, and certainly I hope people are engaged in that sort of public space and thinking about the big challenges that we have but certainly being at the coalface of politics we actually had processes where you did have to come and argue your point on a daily basis and that was an incredible skill to learn I think Mm. in that way that you couldn't just throw up something and say you're stupid you actually had to have a reason for why you thought what you thought. Yeah you can't just call Mm. someone a name like you said or you can't just rely on um how would you say it? You can't just rely on on rhetoric or or, or catchphrases or anything. Like Correct. you like you have to stand there and defend your position. That's absolutely. I right. think the other thing is as well is that it um, it forces you to be a lot more comfortable with confrontation. Yeah, and probably in my private life, I'm not great at that. In my professional life, I'm fantastic. I can tackle any difficult situation. I think um, you learn those skills, I think, in a, in a really good way to be able to say no. I say no a lot, actually, in my private life as well. I'm very good at not agreeing <laughs> to do things that I really don't want to do. I learned that very early, I think, for the bandwidth as much as anything. There was nothing worse than getting to a Saturday night after a really big week and realising you had a party or a dinner that you had to go to that you really never wanted to go to in the first place. So I said no to a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> even from a very early stage. But, yeah, it, it's an important skill to learn, I think, being able to stand up for yourself in a really positive way. Look, I still find it pretty hard to say no to a Do party you? on a Saturday night. I just feel so <laughs> guilty. But are they parties you want to go to? Yeah, sometimes. Well, that's good. But then that, if I don't go, I get FOMO as well. You know, I'm sitting at <laughs> home watching FOMO. people's Instagram stories while I'm wearing like Ugg boots <laughs> and have one of those horrific face masks on. Yeah, no, my FOMO is not being on the sofa with my with my dog. That's, oh. that's my FOMO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about politics today? Do you still get fired up about climate? change or a budget surplus or have you just enjoyed the zen of not being involved? I definitely enjoy the zen of not being involved. That happens in a really real sense of not being attached to your phone. Um, The phone ringing all the time at all hours. Um, I am one of those people that was always able to put it down. I can walk away really easily over that. Um, On the issues, I'm very interested. There's certainly issues that I just couldn't care less about and don't really pay a lot of attention to. Um, Probably getting into the squiz got me a lot more connected again to a lot of things because they're unfolding stories that you need a good fact base for and you need to stay on top of things and I'm enjoying that a great deal again. Um, But yeah, there's, I have to say, of my political mates who I still see a great deal of, these days we talk about so many more things than politics. It's it, it definitely is uh, a more joyous thing to be broader than just so 
focused mm. on politics, that's for sure. It's amazing how when you leave you think that yeah. the world is going to end and you're going to be out <laughs> of the loop yeah. and then you leave and you're like, wow, no, other people talk about things other than politics. It's funny you say that. I was in the car at 2 o'clock last week, which is question time time, and I remember one day when I was right in the thick of it, um, I was sick one day and that sense of, oh, my God, what is life going to be like when I should be in Parliament House at question time? And I think I'd just turned the radio on and there was some grab of some breaking news and I thought, God, I, I don't think I even really particularly knew Parliament was sitting. It's it's great when things shift. Yeah, yeah absolutely, when you don't have that, like, five minutes yeah. to two feeling where you have yeah. to get back to your desk <laughs> to watch right. everything unfolding. <laughs> now, why did you want to shift to Woolworths from politics? I had agreed at the end of 2009 that I was happy to go back to Tony uh, and give him one more year. That was that was the deal. Um, I was the first staff member that he hired when he was made opposition leader. So it was really just that. I'd, I'd finished up. Um, I'd done a bit of consulting in financial communications. Uh, I didn't want to consult again. I need to be part of a team. I, I can't just sort of give you best advice and walk away from it. Um, Woolies, I thought, would be a good fit for me because it's a great big business with a national presence that was quite relevant to Australians' lives and that's how it played out. Well, it is an iconic brand, like Tony mm. Abbott. <laughs> it's like Tony Abbott. <laughs> or maybe he's budgie smugglers. Maybe the budgie smugglers. <laughs> at the time when you were at Woolworths, the business was going through quite a bit of upheaval. Mm. Coles was firing and Woolies seemed to have one crisis after another. Mm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Woolies had had a track record and an unbroken history of really massive growth. Uh, a few of those things tricked them up in the time that I was there. Uh, Coles had got its act together and had got a lot of more money behind them. Wes Farmers had bought them and they were really stepping up, down, down. All of those campaigns were really kicking in and for the first time... Our... I'm going to have that in my head for the rest of I the know, day now. I know, sorry. <laughs> down, down, prices are down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that really tricked up our team. They hadn't lost before. They hadn't been under that sort of pressure. So it was interesting to see particularly that commercial sense about how to compete. Um, that had also tricked them up on a competition and a government level because they were making quite significant profit margins because they'd been unchallenged for quite a while. It was really an interesting insight, I think, into what competitive markets actually mean and how they do benefit consumers. Woolies had been fairly unchallenged for a long time and they now had to compete and prices came down across the board quite a bit. Um, also during that time, Brooke, I could go into a great deal of detail about the corporate manoeuvrings of Woolworths, but long story short, um, all of that had the consequence of um, half of our board was sacked and left, um, wow. our CEO moved on, every business division leader was changed around from supermarkets through to Big W through to the liquor businesses. Uh, it was a lot to manage um, and a really interesting masterclass, I think, in, in big corporate life. And so when you're there and you, it feels like the walls are sort of caving in mm. around you, what was it that made you want to stay and figure it out and help them sort of dig their way out of the hole that they found themselves in rather than just jump ship, yeah. which probably would have been a yeah. lot easier? You know what? Um, for all of the pressure and you know, people's jobs were on the line. Uh, 
everyone handled it incredibly professionally. I don't remember a raised voice. Uh, I don't remember anything underhanded or anything that I would feel uncomfortable about in terms of the pressure that they were under and the decisions that they had to make and the scale of the decisions that they had to make were taken very seriously uh, when it came to, you know, getting rid of the master's home improvement business, for example, that they'd put billions of dollars into Mm. uh, and then having to front up to shareholders and explain why it wasn't working. Everyone handled it extremely professionally. I actually looked at it as an opportunity to learn more than anything else and it really was that opportunity as it turned out. That's like incredibly insightful and um, I think it shows that you know even in times of crisis you have the Mm. ability to sort of step back and look at things more broadly but how do you not take on the heaviness or the um, the sort of I guess it's Mm. a dark feeling isn't it I mean you wake up (laughs) and you know that you've got an uphill battle ahead of you every day that you go into the office. Yeah, and of course things get on a roll too, don't they? You know, when you're on a bad roll, it just rolls on and the days and weeks sort of go on. Bad press. Yeah, and and it's it's hard to get a break. Um, I think having that perspective out of politics about what bad days look like and... Uh, how to stay on track to keep the team focused and to keep yourself moving forward, even if it was to deal with things that were difficult. Um, I learnt that in politics, I think, in a really structured way. And, you know, all that work that you put into building a good team around you uh, and also broadening, I think, your your professional skills really pays off in, in those more difficult times. And so you, you know, you learned or you sort of cut your teeth in, in um, going through really difficult times or, or seeing bad mm. press or, you mm. know, yeah. feeling crappy on behalf yeah. of the brand that you're representing um, or working for. And then you applied that in this this other context. So you performed quite well in yeah. crisis. Look, I didn't lose any sleep. Um, it, wow. It, yeah, it's not like I would go home and have to drink a bottle of wine to get to sleep and then, you know, have a fitful four hours. No, <laughs> That's that, never, so grim. that never happened. I mean, you know those people. People do, do it. I know, I know. It, it's a thing. And, yeah, that, that was never my thing. I sleep very well. Um, I don't drink a bottle of wine at night <laughs> unless I'm having a, a, a really great time. Yeah, half a glass of shardy <laughs> yeah, or something. That's, yeah. that's right. This was dinner. <laughs> um, I maintain those friendships. So, you know, you, I think you're not when you've been through a few things that, you know, it's not the end of the world. There is mm. always going to be tomorrow. The people around me were, were terrific and managing it really well as well. So we, we got through it together, I think, and that, that really worked. Now, I should probably ask on behalf of our audience, what exactly does a corporate affairs executive <laughs> do? <laughs> we're kind of like the hotline to the outside world for particularly big businesses. So uh, what I found certainly with Woolies is that um, as a supermarket retailer, as a a big liquor retailer, and they of course had general merchandise as well, it's a big, big operation. And it's very easy to get very focused on the internals. You're worried about, you know, what your colleagues are doing. You're worried about even potentially what your competitors are doing. But it's it's a big organisation with a bureaucracy that takes a lot to get through every day. Uh, what corporate affairs functions do, they're, well, in a very practical sense, actually the hotline to the journos, they're the hotline to government, they're the hotline to industry stakeholders and anyone else really outside of the business who deserves to have a say about what you're doing, um, shareholders, investors, all of, all of those sorts of things. So uh, you're interpreting the outside world to the business and vice versa. Let's go to the day then that you decided to quit Woolies. 
What then? I had a six months notice period. <laughs> so you told them you had to wait. <laughs> so I had a That's six months. Can you imagine? No, it was the worst. I want instant gratification for every decision I made. And that's probably my tip to anyone. Do not sign up to a six months notice period if you can possibly avoid it. Um, senior positions, they really want you How to do that. How many sick days did you have? Oh, none because no. we were going through a lot of <laughs> yeah. this stuff still at the time. Uh, no, By then we had a new CEO who was really wanting to go, go, go and um, we really sort of rallied behind him to to give him a hand. Brad Banducci is his name. He's still the CEO today. Um, yeah, six months notice period is a long time. What it actually did though, and Brad had been an entrepreneur He'd done startup businesses. Um, there were plenty of people within Woolies who were really happy to help me get set up with Squiz. Um, they were very generous with their time, even during my work hours. So I was able to really get set up with Squiz um, and get really good advice out of some really top quality business people during that period. So it worked quite well. Yeah, it sounds like it maybe was ideal. So then you could... Painful. (laughs) Painful. (laughs) ideal. (laughs) Because a lot of people who, um, you know, go and embark on the startup journey say don't immediately quit your job, transition out of it, do a little bit of both for a while. So it sounds like, you know, in the end that's exactly what you were able to do. Yeah, and certainly getting started with Squiz... um, what I learned at Woolies was far more valuable to me than anything that I learned at um, at Parliament House. Um, I was able to really tap finance, legal, marketing, you know, a whole range of actual functional things and expertise, uh, loyalty, like just so many. I mean, it, it's a micro set, Woolies, of, of pretty much anything that a consumer business has. So to go and speak to some of the best operatives in the country uh, and put it into my little context was was incredibly valuable. Absolutely. What made you think of doing an email newsletter? I'd seen some good ones from overseas. Uh, they were entertaining and really valuable if you're into finance or American politics or um, UK news, but there was nothing for me. Uh, fundamentally, I'm a fairly lazy person. There were many, many times when I really just wanted to sleep in but I had an 8 o'clock meeting, so how do you get the shortest distance between getting out of bed and getting into that meeting? Um, Unfortunately for me, as the head of communications and then the head of corporate affairs, I needed to know what was happening in the news (laughs) to be able to head into that meeting or at least know enough to fake it. Mm. Uh, I'm a pretty good faker at knowing stuff about the news. (laughs) So um, what I thought was there was a a really good gap in the market for something that covered Australian news um, at that time of day that was update, that was updated and current and could really do something for really busy people. How much time did you spend thinking about it and planning it before you thought, okay, no, actually I'm going to do this? There's that uh, leap I think that many people take. It took me a while to say it out loud to people. It sounded so absurd to myself that I was going to do this. Um, it took me quite a while. I'd probably been thinking about it for three or four years. There was something I thought that would work here um, but I didn't see myself doing it and then when I did see myself doing it, uh, it took me a good probably three or four months to say out loud. So I'd started sort of pottering around it. Um, 
and then oh, I think it's like any big secret that you have, you tell people and everyone's really great about it and yeah. then all of a sudden it happens and, and that's what happened for me. But before it happens, you sort of imagine that you're going to tell people and they'll roll their eyes oh, or laugh at you absolutely. or think you're an idiot a- abs- or something. Absolutely. How, like, who do you think you are to be able to quit your job and start a business? Like that, And I, because I think I didn't really see it for myself for such a long time, um, it took me a bit of convincing that it was okay to to give it a go and once I'd said it it was mm. like there was no stopping yeah and then you just look at yourself in the mirror every morning before you go and you go <laughs> I'm Claire freaking that's who I am that's who I think I am <laughs> that's, that's, that's weirdly exactly enough what not what I did yeah. but, <laughs> but no? I'm, I'm gonna okay. do it from yeah. now on in <laughs> tomorrow morning let's try it now on a scale of one to ten how hard was it to actually launch? So you finish at Woolies and then, you know, you actually yeah. need to, to do the thing that you've been planning to do. Look, not that hard. Um, I felt that I had a good enough support base, I'd had enough advice. I wasn't trying to boil the sea, like I'm just putting out an email every day. I knew that I could get the content together and do it in a way that would work uh, certainly for me and if I thought if it worked for me then some other people might like it. Um, so it wasn't actually a really painful situation. The most difficult thing was the tech. It's not my skill set. Um, we had those tech people that came and fixed things for you, like resetting your password. That's probably where <laughs> I was at. Um, so learning how to get a website up and running, connecting it to an email database and, and then send something out, you know, every day was probably the, the toughest thing about it. Yeah, coding is... Oh, man. It's ridiculous. I walked in on my boyfriend oh. doing a coding oh. course online the other day. Everyone should do it. I, they should, but when he was he was like, oh, why don't we do this together? And I was like, because look at that. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't mean and anything. You're not. Yeah, because you're a loser. Bye. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like, have we met? Yeah, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> have you met me? I'm not doing a coding course. I know, right. oh, but I, you're right. Everyone absolutely should. Uh, and if you've got kids, I'm, I'm throwing myself at all of my girlfriends with kids in that sort of even from five, you know, up to that sort of 12, 15 age group saying get them coding. Like, it'll be like a second absolutely. language. Like it, it's, it'll be so easy for them. Absolutely right. And they'll leave us in their dust. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as long as they take us out for dinner every now and then, <laughs> it'll be fine. Bye, Mama Schnitty kids. <laughs> That's right. Now tell me about your first hire. Was that – it was Kate Watson? It was Kate Watson, yeah. That was a really easy one. I had um, very cleverly put Kate Watson – Bryce Corbett, who's an author uh, and a former 60 Minutes producer and, and Finn Review Journo, uh, and Helen McCabe, who of course is Future Women founder, uh, on an advisory board. We had a weekly phone call. Uh, they were people that when things weren't quite making sense that I phoned and said, what am I doing wrong? Uh, they got to see every document that I put together just to make sure that the foundations of the business were, were starting to come together. Um, Kate and I had always talked about her coming on board. In fact, uh, after I started telling people what I was going to do, she was one of the first. We were in some skanky bar in Canberra, I think, one night. <laughs> I wasn't, was the other side of the lake. I can't remember which one, but I'm glad that you know Moosehead's. I, I won't mention the stripper pole. Oh, oh no, I mentioned oh, the stripper pole. Makes me like you even more. <laughs> um, and Kate just loved the idea so much. I think she was quite surprised that I followed through with it and she was 
totally on board. She's just one of those great people. She is on board and when she's on board there's absolutely no stopping whatever it is that you want to do. So um, I proved up the concept over 12 months. Um, that was the deal. I wanted to make sure that I was convinced it was going to work before anyone did anything crazy <laughs> like with their jobs. Mm. Uh, she was working at, at Sky News uh, and... Yeah, once we hit the numbers that we wanted to hit and got 12 months into it, she came across and, yeah, uh, it, to be able to launch a podcast, to, to be able to throw commercial um, and advertising and all of that at, at her while I crack on with, with other things is just incredible. And why did you call it The Squiz? Interesting story to that, or interesting to me anyway, um, one of those great people at Woolies that I um, – probably forcibly conscripted to help me is a guy called Luke Dunkley and Luke was the head of marketing at Woolies for a really long time and told him what I wanted to do and asked him if he could come up with some name concepts for that because I was getting stuck and uh, probably had read too many others as well to really, you know, that kind of earworm once you mm. think it's really hard to get out of it. Uh, so Luke went away and came back and uh, one of the names that he suggested was The Squiz. And it works on a really great level because it's a short, you know, glance at something. Um, the squiz, though, is great for me because Squizzy is my best mate from school. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah, and she was absolutely one of those women that I had in mind that I'm trying to help every day with the news. She has four kids. She has an incredibly busy life. Uh, we talk about the news, we talk about politics, we talk about a whole bunch of stuff and one of the things, of course, with young kids she always said was that she just didn't have time to read. So, yeah, it worked really, really well. I love the tagline, your shortcut to being informed. How, how did you come up with that? That's so good. I have Helen McCabe to thank for that. Uh, we were sitting around my apartment trying to work out these documents and our positioning and I was really, again, fixated on this sort of sense about being smarter and being, you know, more tapped in and Helen just nailed it with the shortcut thing and once we worked out what it was a shortcut to, we, we were away. Well, she's a good woman, that Helen McCain. She really Isn't is. Isn't she? Yep, she's worth having around. She's all right. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had a very early problem, um, a legal letter that came from a brand in the US. Can you tell me a little bit about it and tell me about how you managed it? So the skim uh, is an email out of the States. They have had phenomenal success in getting their arms around millennial women uh, in the US. Uh, it's a very different offer to the squiz. It's quite focused on um, news broadly, but American news, of course, and uh, probably a lot more um, female orientated um, content as well. Um, I had originally in the artwork concept had a, had a woman figure um, which was quite different to the skim, um, but as it, of course, when you put it on a page and send it around, these sort of correlations are made and, of course, they're fiercely protective of their brand and, look, you know, at that point when I'm funding the business myself and trying to work out, you know, how do I get up at 3.30 every morning, <laughs> it just wasn't a problem that I wanted to have. So it was really simple to just change our logo and that's all it was about. Oh, really? That was it? That was it and, and they wished us well. And uh, how I dealt with it, again, I had enough legal connections to be able to say I think I need an IP um, lawyer to give me a bit of advice. Uh, it cost me 10 grand to get around the issue because that's what lawyers cost when, <laughs> when you're doing these things. Um, but luckily that was it. The lesson I learned out of that though is that 
always in the back of my mind I didn't quite feel right about having that female character that we launched with mm. for that kind of that reason. Um, it really taught me very early, I think, to just go all in on what we were doing and what we were trying to to achieve and not reference anything else. Yeah, just to go with your gut and Absolutely. what you want. Absolutely, yeah. How do you make money? Advertising at the moment. Um, we need to find another revenue source. I think, you know, broad media is a bit challenged at the it's moment, a bit isn't of a it? Tough <laughs> climate for us, isn't it? <laughs> with advertising <laughs> revenue. Um, we're going really well in terms of getting really high quality advertisers on board. Uh, the way we've tackled that is through my uh, probably prism of corporate affairs messaging. So we're not going after product and promotion. Um, we're going after brand and deeper messages under their brand. So, uh, for example, today we had a piece from Qantas about what they're doing for drought-stricken communities. Um, we also get our arms a little bit around um, some businesses that are launching uh, that have new products to help busy people manage their time. So Urban News, a really good example. They they have high-quality cleaners, um, Fable shirts, silk shirts. They're fantastic. Um, are they the ones that don't crease? They are the ones that don't crease and you can wash them in your washing machine. This sounds like content right now. Like I know, branded it does. It does <laughs> but we're using brands that we would use mm. and that's always been our, our thing. Um, we're not going to put content in the email that we wouldn't use, that we wouldn't be interested in. We've rejected some ads in the past on that basis because there's nowhere to hide in the podcast and email. They're both so short. So mm. if they don't work, it just doesn't, it doesn't work, work for anyone. Yeah. yeah. I feel the same way when people try to offer me money to do Instagram posts. Oh, yeah. Because I just think if it's not going to work, if people don't like it, then there's no point you doing it. And then you're just going to think yeah. that I'm shit. And you're undervaluing <laughs> your own brand then, totally. aren't you? Yeah. And then totally. anyone can come at you and, yeah, it's it's not worth it. Do you imagine that sort of revenue structure changing over the short or, you know, medium term? We hope so. We'd like to find a really solid revenue line outside of advertising. I think most media businesses <laughs> would agree with that. Uh, what that looks like for us uh, potentially could be in research and insights. We have a fantastic database of people who would really probably like to tell others what they think about their brands or uh, certain issues. So we're looking into that. Um, events, I think, are really hard. People ask us all the time about squiz events. I, I think good events are really difficult to do. And I take my hat off to Future Women for the program that they've put together um, in that space. I, I think really good events are really difficult to nail. Um, there's a few other things that we're thinking about. But one of the things that really underpin uh, the squeeze is that we don't do anything that doesn't go back to our core brand of just making busy people's lives easier. Thank you there for that little plug about oh, our yeah. events. <laughs> yeah. Checks you, in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> if you're interested, you can go and have a look at our Facebook page and see if there's an event coming up near you. How are you different from other newsletters produced by other media outlets? We're a 6am email. Um, I think, as you well know, Brooke, getting out of bed early is really hard and not many people want to do it. So having that 6am time uh, for us, for the podcast as well as the email, is essential. Uh, we're then part of people's morning routines and that's when we know they want to consume that sort of content. So 
the actual doing of it makes it very different. Uh, also that we're across the media. Uh, we're not just um, taking a viewpoint from the Sydney Morning Herald or the Australian or 2GB or Nine or, or whatever it is. Uh, we scour all of that and pull it together into a comprehensive point of view uh, that you can get across. I think probably the final thing to mention is that we're opinion free. So we're not shouting at anyone. We're not pushing anyone's barrow. Um, we're very uh, safe with the content. Uh, the podcast, for instance, we wouldn't say anything that kids couldn't listen to. Uh, that's really important to us, that brand safety. And we certainly know that that's something that advertisers really like about what we're doing as well. And you do have nearly 50,000 subscribers at the moment, is that right? Yeah, we're heading in that direction and we get um, about twelve to 15,000 uh, downloads of the podcast every day. Wow. And so... That rate is of really engaged readers, mm, mm. isn't it? How big do you think you can get? Interesting number for you. There's 150,000 women in Australia. I cannot, can't say Australia correctly. Someone told me the other day. Uh, <laughs> so isn't it just Australia? Australia. That's what I say. It's like S-T-R-A. No, there's an L in it. What? Yeah, I know. Crazy. <laughs> there are 150,000 women in Australia uh, who earn more than $150,000, which isn't a lot. No, I would have thought there would have, it's incredible. Would have been more than that. Of course, when you look at household income, it, it changes quite a bit. But uh, we think that there's a good market for us to capture um, busy women who are very educated, who are working really hard, um, they're ambitious and they don't have a lot of time. So uh, we're getting our arms around them with the news. We think there's probably plenty of other things that we can do to help them as well. And it's not, of course, just for uh, influential um, affluent women. Um, we're getting a lot of younger people who are starting out in their careers uh, who want to come to the table informed. Uh, we've also got a lot of rural people who want a bit more of an overview uh, of what's happening internationally as well as nationally uh, in the country. Um, and we have quite a good base of men as well. How have you managed to compete against, say, the Sydney Morning Herald? They're an established brand, mm. you know, easily recognisable. How do you come up against that? We've come up against it with that spirit of people being very mindful about the news that they're consuming. The trust that uh, people have in mainstream news at the moment is around that sort of 45 to 50% mark. Uh, our people rate our trustworthiness at about 99%. Wow. Which is fantastic. Um, they really value that we've put it through a filter and tested it across a number of sources and what they get then is really well verified. Of course, it's drawn from sources like the Sydney Morning Herald, so there's some irony, I guess, in that. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, really in, it's a really engaged audience that, that value what we do and appreciate that we've taken the opinion out of it, um, that we're not shouting at them, as I said, and that they're really happy to get for free. Mm. And the podcast is nearly 80,000 downloads. A week, a yeah. A week, yeah. So did you – is this where you thought you would be at this point in time? Did you did you imagine it would get this big Not so the podcast. Uh, the podcast surprises me every day. I, I mean, you would have it too. The sound of your own voice is the most horrendous thing in the world and <laughs> – I, just... I totally agree. <laughs> when I have to listen back to things uh, that I've done, 
I just I cringe. Yeah. Luckily, Kate does all of our producing, so I don't have to listen to any of it. I just want on in in the morning, mm. give her 15 minutes and she's away and has it all done up and produced by by 6am and, and out. So I, I'm lucky I don't have to listen back to too much. But, yeah, the fact, of course, people who know me really well um, think the podcast is fascinating because they know me and my tone. Um, they know when I'm being uber sarcastic and when I'm not um, and I think they just find it very amusing regardless that somehow we've drilled up this sort of uh, good base of people who want to listen to us every day. Well, I was going to say you might not like the sound of your own voice but <laughs> there are a lot of people who do because this year the Squiz won podcast of the year. We've had some incredible yeah, success with it and we get recognised on Apple a lot which is fantastic. Um, again, it's an audience we can grow and we're really, really excited about the opportunities there. So how did you celebrate then? Uh, I think once we had a glass of wine, uh, I know we shared a text message about our umbrella award because we we're, yeah, we're all in bed at that point. Of course, yeah. yeah. We're not good at that and that's actually something that we need to get better at. I think um, one of the things that um, I really value and certainly Kate and Larissa um, who work with me, um, we're all very humble people. We're not really particularly interested in the sort of high five back slapping um, but we're working incredibly hard and I think it is important to take those moments and actually reflect. Moments. We've got to get better at that. You know, one of the other women that we've interviewed for uh, for this podcast said that in her office they have champagne moments. Ah, uh, yeah. Nice. Um, to celebrate and, yeah. you know, all of the younger stuff. Like, is this a champagne moment? Nice. Is this a champagne moment? I like that. I might have to do that. I think you should adopt it. Yeah. Give yourself is some champagne. Is it champagne? good champagne? Oh, we... you have to. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I mean... Bottle of Ruinart or something. Yeah, fantastic. Now, everyone wants to know, how early do you get up at the moment? Oh, how early do you get up at the moment? Mm, about 4, 4.30. Yeah. I'm about quarter to four. Um, I just roll out of bed, though, and put my Ugg boots on and head to the desk. You have to leave the house. so. But I can wear Ugg boots. Oh, well, that's okay. When I go into work, I am wearing basically pyjamas. Oh, that's not too bad. No, yeah, it's fine. Then Do you they, wash they your hair you before up. you leave? Sometimes and then you, I only wash yeah. my hair once or twice a week. Well, that's okay, too. Yeah. God, if you can get away with that, that's yeah, nice. Of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically just held together by hairspray and dreams <laughs> yeah. and prayers nice. and likes, of course. <laughs> you know, there's a whole range for that, you can launch your own brand. <laughs> yeah. Just hairspray and just hairspray and <laughs> boots. That's it's, what I exist on. I'm buying from that. Don't worry. Um, no, I'm a. Uh, these days, um, we've moved into a shared working space in in Sydney, which means that I have to leave my house at some point through the day. Uh, for the previous couple of years before that, um, I have a, the most excellent range of tracksuit pants that you've probably ever seen. I had a really excellent range of slippers as well. Uh, my favourite pair were gold. Um, they've sort of been relegated now that I have to get out and about a little bit more. Well, you know that Crocs are the slippers you can oh, wear on the street no. and I have a pair of Crocs. Oh, Brooke. <laughs> wow. Gee, you heard it here first, yeah. I think. What colour uh, are they? They're like army green. Oh, okay. So like camo coloured. Do people see them because they're camo coloured? <laughs> yeah, that's the trying to hide them. They're trying not to see them. <laughs> Now the question, is Kate really that clueless about music? <laughs> she seems to be. She, though, isn't clueless about country music. That's her thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, in fact, I know um, she really bonded with her now husband 
um, over late night viewings of um, CMA. How <laughs> 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 romantic. I know, so romantic. But, yeah, country mu- if we were more country music orientated, I think she would be nailing it. But it seems on everything else that, yes, she is. <laughs> now, you love your music. What do you listen to when you're just hanging around the house? Uh, I'm sadly these days... Um, still very news-led with my music consumption. So it's an interesting way to consume music, I think. When there's big stories about certain musicians, I, of course, am reading a bunch about it, but then I go down these sort of rabbit holes of of music and content and life and times and all of that sort of stuff. So, uh, for example, I was reading something about Elon Musk and Grimes, so I had a real Grimes kind of period there for a bit. <laughs> we appreciate oh, power. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> that was my thing. Uh, Tom Petty, of course, when he died, mm-hmm. I went through a real I was devastated about Prince's death that mm. really that's probably the only celebrity muso death that I really felt sad about um mm. I loved Prince and really got back into I had a whole Prince face there for a bit um but yeah it's a it's a big mix of of things it's very news led as it happens that's such a funny way to it to is. rediscover music isn't uh, it and I go right I go right down a deep dive yeah now you, you're also a, an excellent cook Oh. So it seems from your love of food You'll and have sharing to come recipes. Over, Brooke. Oh, is, that, is that is an that invite? A, well, absolutely. I'm there. Absolutely. <laughs> How often do you get to cook? I cook every weekend, no matter where I am. Um, even these days when I'm going away uh, for weekends with friends, I seem to end up cooking something. I'm not a very fancy cook. I'm a very classic country. Yeah. Same. Fantastic. Shepherd's pie. Yeah. Roast. I'm really good at roast potatoes. Fantastic. Oh. Yeah. That, woman after my yeah squeeze recipes <laughs> oh come on make I would it love happen. it yeah I would really love to do that and when I look at people um, that are successful at that I'm, I'm very admiring of that <laughs> I think that could be a thing um, now this might be really unfair to ask you uh, but is it true that you dived into the harbour recently on an early <laughs> morning walk to save your French bulldog Tucker <laughs> oh my god yes I did I uh, was walking with a mate I have a Friday morning standing appointment with a friend. Uh, we meet at the Harbour Bridge at Milsons Point. We walk down Bradfield Park and then across Luna Park. Uh, and Tucker, my Frenchie, um, who has his photo on our website, <laughs> um, Tucker was between the bollards and the harbour. There's about a four metre drop down just at <gasps> Luna Park. And he, I call, I saw where he was. I called him. He, of course, tried to turn around and went plonk. So Tucker. I had to run, find a ladder, swim, find him, hold him up. And luckily I was with a mate. Um, she was able to, to pull him up. Was he so all right? He was fine. He's a Frenchie who can swim and They're he swims a lot. They're bags, aren't they? Oh, this, the, my stupid dogs. I've got the, two pugs. So oh, I hear wow. You. Yeah, yeah. The squishy face gang. They're yeah. so dumb but they're <laughs> so cute, aren't they? He's normally really, really good but he, um, yeah, just backs himself a little bit too much in these dangerous mm. things and, yeah, he got into trouble So one time. of mine is uh, very brave. Right. And probably more brave than he ought to be. <laughs> and then the other one is really, he's not very bright. Oh. Little Jim Jim. <laughs> he's, he's so cute. That's fantastic. But he's so dumb. And you have to love them, don't you? Oh, you you just do. But, yeah, I cut up my hand. I had a really nice – because it's really rocky down there. I've never been down there before. absolutely. That was a really great way to start a Friday morning. Yeah, very fresh. (laughs) Fresh start to the weekend. Now, are there any new launches or business plans you can tell us about today? 
Not really. We're working on a, on a few things. We've been really structured about the projects that we've tackled. We have a, a group of investors. We did a capital raising last year. Uh, I'm very lucky to have Peter Tonner, for example, who is the head of News Corp and head of Foxtel and he's an investor in, in startups. He's really interested in content. Um, so we report to them in a really structured way about what we're working on and what the opportunities for growth are. Um, yeah, probably nothing I can really talk about right now. Do you have to resist the urge to keep expanding and keep taking on more? Again, I'm really good at saying no. Mm. I'm, I, I think it comes back to that. I know really inherently what growth looks like for us and I know the spaces that it doesn't. Um, y- you can imagine we get a bunch of people telling us all the time about what we could do. Mm. Uh, I'm really good these days at having those conversations but I don't go away thinking, yeah, maybe there's something in that unless there really is something in that. Yeah. Uh, and I have, of course, my little advisory group that I, I run everything past including ideas that I think are really dumb uh, and they sometimes pull me up on that and that's worked out really well on occasions too. So I'm happy to take the advice but I'm happy to take the advice from people that I really know I'd clued into it. What is your biggest challenge as a small media entrepreneur? I think the tech. I still think tech is is a really big challenge. Uh, The barriers to entry, particularly for a business like this, squeeze us so low. Like you just need a website and a you know, an email and know how to write a bit and you can have a go. Um, Growth, though, looks like something that is a really technical thing to execute. And, uh, of course, our our third, uh, second hire, uh, our third staff member, Larissa uh, Moore, she uh, has those technical skills and she was very important to get on after we had someone that was able to help with content and commercial to get her to drive that machine because it really is a, it's a skill when you see other uh, products pop up that are similar to yours, do you get a sort of a sick feeling in your tummy or you're like, no, no we're better than them, we're going to crush them? No, we really back ourselves. Um, we really want the market to grow as well though um, because we think there's a great deal of discoverability in other products being there. The podcast market's probably the best example. There's a, been a couple of other podcasts pop up that have been really great news updates in the morning. We think, though, ours is the best. It's short and sharp. Um, we really back ourselves with that. But we're really pleased that the market's growing. And do you think that that sort of experience from outside media rather than inside media has helped mm. you build such a unique brand and understand what the consumer wants rather than what the media want to tell you? Absolutely, without a doubt. I have absolutely no hang-ups about being a media organisation. I don't even really think about us as being a media organisation. I think of us as a uh, probably an engagement business Um, and when you look at things differently when you don't have that baggage to carry around um, and there's a lot of negativity and baggage I think in in media uh, it certainly has opened up a whole range of opportunities I think for us to do it differently. And what advice would you have for others who are thinking of doing something on their own? Not every idea is a good idea. Um, I think your idea has to be good I don't think um, every child gets a prize <laughs> in this race. I, I think you have to be sure that your idea stands up and that you've had enough time and enough advice to make sure that it, it stands up. Um, but I think when you're sure of that, just have a go. 
Just get in there and have a dig. Just have a go. What would you have done differently if you could go back to the very beginning? Probably done it earlier. I, I'm a bit of a late bloomer to a whole range of things and I think um, I probably, if I'd had a truly entrepreneurial spirit or at least a grounding in it, I probably would have seized an opportunity a lot earlier to do this. And so how long before you actually did it were you thinking of it? Probably four years. Wow. Probably four years. That's so funny because I remember being in Canberra and thinking something like that would be so Mm. handy. There I didn't go. have the, the you know. You could have been a squizzer for a lot longer. I could have. I could have. <laughs> now look at me. I know. Sitting here like a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> now what does success look like for Claire Kimball? Oh, wow. Uh, I think probably making sure that no door is unopened. I want to make sure that we've done everything we possibly can to make it work. Uh, success for me isn't being a success in this. I don't know whether it will be or not. Um, we're trying really hard and the signs are really good, but success isn't selling the squiz for a squillion dollars and then going and retire. Um, success is just making sure that we've done everything that we possibly can and that we've given it a really good shake. I, I don't get how people Um, shy away from these sorts of things because they're worried about being a failure. I don't think there is failure in this. I think I'm going to learn a hell of a lot and I have learned. And from that perspective, I've already done what I sort of really wanted to do. But I think um, just having a go really is, is a version of success. But that is exactly why you are an inspiration because oh. you think of it as a learning opportunity and you're not oh, for sure. You're not yeah. scared of the the failure or the um not at all. The, not. An outcome that no. you didn't expect and I, I think that you probably underestimate how brave <laughs> that makes you. Yeah, maybe, but I, I truly I, I think the idea that I would get you know, I'd left it so long already to get another five years down the track and not have tried would be more torture than if given something a go and not working. Mm, Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Brooke. That was the absolute legend, Claire Kimball, there, the founder of The Squeeze newsletter and podcast. Please tap those stars and leave us a review. And if you're in the mood, why don't you go on and tell some of your friends about us as well? This podcast is supported by Uber. Uber ignites opportunity by setting the world in motion. What started as a way to tap a button to get a ride has led to billions of moments of human connection as people go all kinds of places in all kinds of ways with the help of Uber's technology. 